Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm the professor. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. This is the sixth and final episode of our Opening the Doors album series, in which we reviewed the Doors six-pack of studio albums with Jim Morrison in the order they were released, complete with theme music composed by Matt Fleming. Thanks, Matt. And we also have a first-time guest co-pilot joining us this episode, Nelda Drummond. Nelda, welcome to the R4 Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we're opening the doors one more time, and as this is the last episode of the album series, that means we're reviewing the Doors' sixth album, L.A. Woman. Nelda, how did you discover the Doors in this particular album? I discovered the Doors in the 90s with the Oliver Stone movie, and I discovered the album a few weeks ago when I started getting ready for this podcast. All right. Professor. Okay, my history with this album, it all starts with Riders on the Storm. I have a vivid memory of my brothers and sisters and I all singing this song on the way home from Menor Headlands Beach in the early 1970s during one of those crazy Midwestern thunderstorms. I distinctly remember my older sister being in the station wagon, so it had to be the summer of 71 or 72. 72 is the most likely. The song was barely over a year old, and here's five-year-old, soon-to-be six-year-old me, already familiar with it. It was that old Ford station wagon, lime metallic green with the faux wood paneling. My brother Pat and I would be in the flip-up seats in the cargo area, the seats that faced each other with the backs to the side windows. It was the only car that could hold all eight of us at the same time. Truth be told, we were still probably all cramped. Riders and, and Love Her Madly were all that I had heard from this album for almost a decade until I'd gotten the 1980 Greatest Hits cassette that closed with L.A. Woman. It was released to coincide with the paper, paperback publication of No One Here Gets Out Alive. The book had a picture of the handwritten lyrics to L.A. Woman, specifically the Mr. Mojo Ryzen anagram name scramble. Anyway, after reading the book, I explored the Doors music more deeply, eventually acquiring their entire catalog. Pretty sure by the end of the sophomore year, I had rolled around and I had picked this album up. Lou, this is your first time with The Doors, isn't it? It is. Um, I remember my mom listening to The Doors when I was real young. The Doors go, and I go way back. Listen. Which album? Which I'm... Doors album you like the best? I lost my Yeah. I like Boston's that. Boston's Hotel, right? Boston's Hotel. I mean, you know, 
I love that too. I, I can't tell you when the first time I heard Riders on the Storm or L.A. Woman on the radio, but when I was 13, I saw Apocalypse Now, and they had a really powerful scene of them napalming this village with a wall of fire as the soundtrack played the end behind that scene. And I found out it was The Doors. And uh, one weekend soon after that, I was in a supermarket where I found No One Here Gets Out Alive in a book rack in the magazine aisle. And I spent the rest of that weekend into the following Monday devouring that book. And for the next two years, I became obsessed with Jim Morrison, collecting all their records and doodling their logo on every notebook I had. And that's where I come in with hearing this record for the first time, probably in those two years after I read the book. So as I've said on five prior episodes... The Doors are my father's favorite band, and he played the records a ton when I was a kid, so I absorbed them through osmosis, and they eventually became one of my favorite bands. And if memory serves me, I seem to recall that he played L.A. Woman more than any other Doors record. At least I remember it that way. So to say that this record is part of my DNA would be a massive understatement, and I'll just leave it at that for now. Now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record, and since I'm one lazy researcher, I'm going to use Wikipedia. L.A. Woman is the sixth studio album by American rock band The Doors, released on April 19, 1971 on Elektra Records. It was produced by The Doors and Bruce Botnick, and was recorded from December 1970 to January 1971 at The Doors Workshop, Los Angeles, California. It reached number 9 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified three times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Jim Morrison on vocals, Ray Manzarek on keyboards and rhythm guitar on one track, Robbie Krieger on lead guitar, and John Densmore on drums. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. And also, all songs were written by The Doors, with one exception. All right, let's open up The Doors once more and begin with The Changeling. Nelda, what do you think? I thought this song was okay. It sounds like he's getting ready to leave because of the charges for profanity and indecent exposure. Prof. Is this song a welcome earworm or what? (laughs) Just love how it pumps along. I said shotgun. Shoot it before they run now. Regardless of lifting the rhythm track from Junior Walker and the All-Star song, this is one comfortable groove. Manzarek is shining on that Hammond organ, sweeping the keys and that brief opening bluesy bit to those Space Invader licks he plays just after Jim says, get loose, just before he locks in and propels the song along with that bouncy chugging riff. Krieger and his wah-wah licks just add to the funk. Love his fuzzbox distorted solo that has a few overdubs, gives a nice tension to the song. Jerry Sheff and Densmore lock in and ride this song out. I know it's sacrilege to even hint that the band would sound better with a bass player, but this song is proof positive. What a solid engine to the band they provide. 
This was the first song that they recorded for the album, although they already had Lamerica in the can, but we'll get to that. To be in the room when they recorded this would have been fantastic. 8521 Santa Monica Boulevard. I know where that is. A changeling is a mythical creature who substituted for a human body. The changeling was usually an outcast. Jim Morrison may have got the idea for the song from a student film he saw at USC in 68 called Changeling. Morrison wrote the lyrics in 68, but he didn't record it until 1970. Most likely, it's a semi-autobiographical song. Morrison longed to be a serious poet or bohemian artist type rather than the teenage pinup in tight leather pants his image had morphed into, which is a far cry from the Lizard King he intended. This was released as the B-side of The Riders on the Storm. And of course, my only gripe about this song is the fade out. It was played briefly on their, their tour in 1970 before they recorded it. The only recording I found was from the Dallas State Fair Music Hall on November 12, 1970, their second to last performance. The song was a little different from the studio version, mostly because it didn't have Jerry Sheff in it. That's all I got. Lou? This wasn't one of my favorites back then, but I've, lately I've really grown to like it. You're right. It's, it's an earworm, and it's been in my head for days now. I thought he was making up words again, that get Duke, but you're saying it's get loose. <laughs> uh, but he's in full swagger. Jimbo, living uptown, downtown, all around. Had money, he's had none. Never been so broke that he couldn't leave town. Yeah, baby. I think he's thumbing his nose. You're right, Nelda. He's thumbing his nose at that lawsuit he was on trial for. Yep. He knew you know he, was... he did it. You know he did it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing with him, though, is that he was. That was his frustration with being a rock god was all you want to – you don't want to hear my poetry. You just want to see my <laughs> dingling. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if you guys – I have a couple of their, their Bright Midnight recordings that they, that they recorded, the full concerts for the Absolutely Live, and they were a fantastic live band. Oh, yeah. But their, but their reputation at the time was people went to go see him freak out. <laughs> instead of the, hear the actual music. Yeah, that's so, true. That's kind of what they were looking for. That and that's The audience changed on him, and he didn't particularly like it. So I think that's why he did what he did in Miami. I know he ran into trouble in New Haven, but, you know, hey, you can't always get what you want. Might have been the cognac or the, <laughs> the bourbon, whatever he was drinking that night. He's a changeling. See him change. That middle yeah. eight. Classic early 70s freak out fuzz tone guitar. Again, remind like Janice reminds me of that genie's evil sister, darling. Yeah, you can hear that ferocity in the band's playing. It's like they have something to prove on this one. The addition of the Ray's New Hammond B3 that the guys gave him for his birthday is in the mix, as well as Jerry Chef on bass. This sounds like a band that's reinvigorated, at least on this first track. I didn't think they, they took this one on the road, so I was surprised to hear that, Ray. But can you imagine your mom and dad or elder or whatever, elder sister, just back at the show, 69 and 70, just absolutely fucking raging to this? Like you'd rage to an Iron Maiden show like 10 years later. <laughs> Decent tune, great opener. Let's go. Uh, uh. 
John Densmore, give me those jazzy drums with those fills. Ray Manzarek, play that Hammond organ and give me those jazzy funk runs. Robbie Krieger, lay down that funky clean guitar and that fuzzy solo. Do your man James Brown proud. Hey, we got a guest on bass guitar this whole album. Hello, Jerry Chef from Elvis Presley's band. Give up the funk and prove once again what I've always said. The door sounded better with a bass player. Jim Morrison, what the fuck happened to your voice, man? You sound like a 60-year-old man with that cracked croak you're giving us. The Lizard King ain't nowhere to be found. But fuck me sideways, it works in a big way. I live uptown. I live downtown. I live all around. But I've never been so broke that I couldn't leave town. Yeah, Jim, you are the changeling. We've seen you change. And to quote my main man, Sam George, I love that shit. The next track is Lover Madly. Don't you love her madly? Don't you need her badly? Don't you love her ways? Tell me what you say. Professor, your thoughts. This is the song that Paul Rothschild called cocktail music. I'd always assumed that he was referring to Riders on the Storm, but this song he held particular venom for. He told BAM magazine, that's exactly the song I was talking about that I said sounded like cocktail music. That's the song that drove me out of the studio. That it sold a million copies means nothing to me. It's still bad music. Sounds like sour grapes there, Mr. Rothschild. The title is a twist on a phrase Duke Ellington used. Ellington would end, his, would end every concert with a sign-off, We Love You Madly. Krieger's bandmates, all well-versed in jazz, got the reference. Krieger wrote this song about Lynn Veeries, who was a go-go dancer when Krieger met her at the Odine Club in New York City. She had a fling with Jim Morrison but ended up with Robbie. They got married in 1972 and stayed together. By the way, they are still married to this day. Good for Robbie and Lynn. Robbie said that Lynn threatened to leave him every time we had an argument. She used to get pissed off and go out the door, and she'd slam the door so loud that the house would shake. Krieger added that Morrison loved this part. All your love is gone, so sing a lonely song of a deep blue dream, seven horses seem to be on the mark. I always thought he was saying March. Jim always told me put something in that, that makes the listener confused. It didn't mean much. Seven horses were a lucky omen. Jim liked horse racing from his Florida days, and the bit about seemed to be on the mark simply fitted the military rhythm. This song was recorded in a very casual atmosphere. The musicians all played together with no overdubs. Their longtime producer, Paul Rothschild, wouldn't touch it, so they produced it themselves with, with help from engineer Bruce Botnick, which meant that they could relax and make their own rules. The whole album was recorded in just two weeks. Actually, six days. The song will open their show in Dallas in 1970. Pretty true to the final studio version, but they stretched it out to over 10 minutes in an improvised jam. It was only performed live twice, in Dallas during the second set, 
and in New Orleans, their final show. In typical Doors fashion, it was attempted three times, but Morrison was too drunk to make it through the song the first time they tried. It's an easy listening song, but Jim loved that, according to Krieger. He liked to croon. When he wanted to, he could sing like Frank Sinatra, who he listened to a lot. Jim made it different and better. Jerry Sheff made this song better, too, with his tasty bass runs and how he locked in with, with Desmore. Manzorek plays the Vox Continental. Ray goes into sin a sinister carnival at the All Your Love Is Gone line to the mark. His organ solo is perfect, along with the electric piano and Desmore's loose fills. Krieger's solo fits, but let's face it, I think even I could play it, and I don't play. I still <laughs> love this song, and again, hate the fade-out. Lou? The thing about the Doors is the uniqueness of their writing and their playing. It's like nobody sounds like them, and they don't sound like anybody else. Ray's ragtime old rock and roll piano and Jerry's bass perfectly complement each other. Usually Ray's left hand would be bringing up the bottom end, and this time Jerry's right out in front, and he's a welcome addition to this new sound. It's a fun tune. It's not my favorite of their hits, but it's one that I don't skip, and now, thanks to that shitty movie, all I think of is Meg Ryan throwing a duck. <laughs> Nelda. I love this song. It's one of my favorites since the 90s. It's happy. It's upbeat. And I think Jim's voice sounds great. He, to me, sounds like the old crooner of before. And it's just a great beat overall. I love this song. This is Robbie's song. And Robbie writes hits. Understand? We get Densmore's straight-ahead beat and Chef's walking bass. Manzarek does double duty with a Vox Continental organ for atmosphere in the melodic solo, plus some bouncy tack piano that adds a bit of old-timey flavor. Krieger himself sneaks in some tasty licks and sweet but subtle fills, and Morrison's trying to muster up that old touch-me croon, and if he doesn't nail it like he once did, he sounds like a wise old sage giving advice. Don't you love her madly? Love's a bitch. You're crazy about her, even when she leaves you like she did a thousand times before. And this was the first single from the album that reached number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The following track is Bend Down So Long. How about this one, Lou? This song always seemed like they ran out of ideas and they were just kind of scraping the barrel. Jim sounds so out of place on this very rough and what sounds like an off-the-cuff jam. Less Lizard King, maybe more Jimbo the Drunk. He sounds like the town drunk getting thrown out of the local corner bar for getting a little too vocal with his opinions. Hey, God damn great. <laughs> uh, Tony Monero's dad. You know, remember that when he's smacking him in the head? You know, one book, one, one. <laughs> Watch the hair. Maybe when you're in the room, it's a different experience. But on record, this kind of falls flat for me. Just watch the hair. Spend a long time on my hair, and he hits it. <laughs> Nelda. 
On this one, I think he's he's thinking about the criminal charges he's facing, and he's down, and it reminds me of Days and Confused from Led Zeppelin. Prof. The phrase, been down so long, and it looks like up to me, was originally used by bluesman Burry Lewis in his 1928 song, I Will Turn Your Money Green. And that inspired Richard Farina's 1966 novel, been down so long, it looks like up to me. In true blues tradition, Morrison wails the leered lyric. Well, I've been down so goddamn long that it looks like up to me. You can sense his sick and tired about being sick and tired about being down. It's a classic 12-bar blues structure, which builds to layers of guitars wailing and trading places at the forefront. Once again, Chef and Desmore shine with solid drums and simple beefy bass lines. Manzarek and Mark Benno play rhythm guitar while Robbie plays lead bottleneck. Benno had never heard of The Doors before being booked for these sessions, and he and Morrison became fast friends, going to lunch and drinking together between recordings. This was recorded on Blues Day, along with Car Sist By My Window and Crawling Kingsnake. The song was played quite a few times live on their 1972 Detroit, Boston, Philadelphia. Each time with Robbie riffing a simple blues pattern, and a slight solo before the song structure really comes together. Also, Morrison makes a great comment before the song in Boston about a special treat, how the audience will not be seeing his genitals that night. I recommend seeking that one out. The song contains some of the most subtle and nuanced lyrics by Jim Morrison. Baby, 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 won't you get down on your knees? Come on, little darling, come on and give me your love to me. Still like this song, though, for the vibe, if nothing else. I do enjoy when the doors play the blues. <laughs> Subtle. All right. Picture this. It's 1972, and a chubby, pasty-faced, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, two-and-a-half-year-old toddler is standing in the middle of the living room of his folks' mobile home in North Adams, Massachusetts, shouting at the top of his lungs, Well, I've been down so goddamn long <laughs> that it looks like up to me. <laughs> My parents let me swear if it was part of a song lyric, so you could bet your ass I was all over this shit. <laughs> this is a bluesy stomp, no frills, with some tasty rhythm guitar from both Ray Manzarek, all right, Ray, and one Mark Benno, a cat who played with Leon Russell, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Clarence White, and Rita Coolidge, to name a few. Krieger tears out a slide solo that drives it home, and Morrison, with that hoarse howl, damn near becomes the bluesman he always thought he was. He needs freedom. He needs release, literally and sexually. Walden, Walden, Walden. Mmm, yeah, I dig. The next track is Cars Hiss by My Window. The cars hiss by my window Like the waves down on the beach I got this girl beside me, but she's out of reach. Headlight through my window, shining on... You like this one, Nelda? Yeah, I like it. It's got a blues sound, but it's also kind of dark. We're talking about the cold girl gonna kill you. I like the wah-wah. That y'all said wasn't Robbie. It's the, 
<laughs> it's Jim doing the mouth harmonica. But I really like it. Prof. Cars hiss by my window. Hiss like a snake? Not Lizard King? I really like the imagery of this song conjures. The Doors and Morrison in particular are absolute masters at this. Plotting blues, four on the floor songs, really not going anywhere, not very fast. One of my favorite parts is when Morrison is impersonating Ray Zimmer doing a vocal rendition of a guitar and then a harmonica solo. <laughs> it comes off as filler, but this is just fun. It gives Morrison a chance to really show off his newfound blues voice. For me, he was a very underrated vocalist. Lou. Okay, I'm getting a little worried. I bought a Doors album, you know? Light my fire when the music's over, waiting for the sun. Carnival, cabaret, poetry, rock and roll, man. Not this. This isn't even good blues. It's another throwaway that should have been left off this record. I hit skip when he starts mimicking a harmonica with his mouth. It's just hack bullshit. Come on, Jim. Jimbo. It's cringeworthy to me. And now we take it down to a somber, slow blue shuffle. Benno and Krieger are interplaying with their guitars, but this is a slithering simmer. This is a darkened room. This doesn't beat you over the head like the last track. This is crying your beer stuff. The musical backing is understated. The players are playing in service to the singer. Morrison sounds tired, resigned, and he sounds, to me, sort of authentic. He's got his girl, but she's cold, distant. There's no connection. He hears the cars go by his window and sees the headlights on his wall. And he's got to play some mouth guitar. Ray Z, where you at? The cars hiss by my window. The following track is also the title track, L.A. Woman. Nelda. Okay, I have a lot of info on this one. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, well, some say this song is about Eve Babbitts. That, I don't know. But I know Jim, at this time, is with Pam, and then he marries Patricia Keneally, which could have been legal, may not have been legal. Who knows? And also, we've already talked about Mr. Mojo Rising is an anagram of Jim's name. And this song is inspired by City of Night by John Reshi. And that is a gay liberation novel. And Ray Manzarek said that this was a great noir song. Prof. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo you a little bit, Nelda. Morrison got the idea for the lyric City of Night from John Reshi's 1963 book of the same name. Mm -hmm. The book describes a sordid world of sexual perversion, which Morrison translated to Los Angeles. Probably mm -hmm. pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. They put this song together in the studio and recorded it live with no overdubs. It came together surprisingly well. Guitarist Robbie Krieger has called it the quintessential Doors song. 
This was played live at least once in Dallas. It's a terrible recording. You better believe that the first time I was in Los Angeles, this song was played. I was in the Air Force at Dallas Air Force Base in Las Vegas for Green Flag. And one of the guys in our group was from L.A. and wanted to go visit his mother. It was the closest he'd been to her in years. This was during the beginning of the O.J. Simpson trial in 1995, before I went to Turkey for four months. We had a weekend off and a rental car and a commanding officer who was just shy of the nutty professor. So three of us went to L.A., a four-hour trip. I specifically wanted to go to the courthouse to find a Homie the Clown t-shirt, <laughs> which was O.J.'s infamous mugshot done up as Homie the Clown with the tagline, Homie, don't play that. I'd seen it on <laughs> CNN about the media camp that the courthouse that somebody was selling it, and I had to get one of those shirts. Never found one. We had a great time driving to L.A. in the desert uh, and the city and back, uh, totally at risk of being AWOL. But what what's the fun of life if you don't take chances? Incidentally, that was the very green flag where my partner in crime and I received an Air Force Achievement Medal for our key input in defeating the red opposition forces for the first time in green flag history. Talk about risking the fire for fame. Mr. Mojo Rising, indeed. Love this song. Always loved it. Don't always know what he's talking about in it. I know he's describing L.A. burning in the hills, and L.A. is a pretty seedy town, and the first time I visited in 95, it was still a pretty seedy town. That's all I got. Lou. Okay, now we're back on track. <laughs> After those last two, this is a welcome closer for side A. Lizard King's back in action. Another musical magic carpet ride. What sounds like a stream of consciousness poetry telling us of a lucky little lady in the city of light. I'm not going to try to interpret it. You guys did a great job. The tension the band creates through the song just builds until it peaks. Jim talking about cops and topless bars and a lady so alone. So alone. So alone. So alone. Yeah. Jimbo's got her fired up now. The band slows to that jerking halt like a sputtering engine. The song's dirty. It's pure sleaze, pure sex. It's really like a good BJ, you know, slowing down so you can enjoy the moment a little longer. <laughs> Jim knows what he's doing. Before the band's driving him back, he fires back up and starts rolling back into the road. Building more and more tension, more tension. Finding that little rubber band back up again. Mr. Mojo rising till Jimbo's going to release it all. Screaming, woo, yeah, drive. Robbie lets it fly as Jim moans something intelligible. You know that. But it's cool, right? Sort of, sort of turns all Jerry Tyler for a second. <laughs> right back into that refrain this motherfucker keeps going like a fucking freight train overzealous girlfriend you know giving you that indian burn from the jane's addiction song working it working it la woman you're my woman great comeback from an iffy side one well I'm going to do a whole lot of what Lou just did. Fuck it. It's the last Doors episode. I don't give a shit. 
Seven minutes, 50 seconds worth of a sprawling, warts and all love letter to the Doris hometown as embodied by a woman, or more specifically, Morrison's longtime squeeze, Pamela Corson. Manzarek does his thing on organ and tack piano again. Benno and Krieger play complimentary guitar licks. Densmore really has freedom to cut loose and wheel out those snazzy fills. And combined with Chef's pulsating bass, this song has serious grooves, son. This astounding music is telling you the story, which is good because Morrison's barely intelligible. But you don't give a fuck because our man is selling you his city with its Hollywood bungalows, freeways, midnight alleys, cops and cars, and topless bars. Oh, not another love, angel. And then we slow it down to a dark, scuzzy pace. And we crawl down one of those alleys where we find Mr. Mojo Rising. Mr. Mojo Rising. Riding, riding. Wow, yeah, bang. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Holy fucking shitballs, Batman, do I love this song. And it wasn't released as a single, but it may as well have been because classic rock radio eats this shit up. L.A. Woman! So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on L'America. I took a trip down to L'America You trade some beats for a pint of gold I took a trip down to Professor, lead us off. America means Latin America. <laughs> the Doors recorded this months before the other songs on L.A. Woman. It was intended for the movie Zabriskie Point by Italian director Michelangelo Antonio. Antoniani, whatever, I can't even say his name. <laughs> um, he rejected the song, so the Doors put it on this album. The Italian director had notably tapped the Yardbirds for 1966 Blow Up and appeared he might do the same this time around for The Doors. He visited the band in the recording studio, but their intensity, not to mention the the volume of the song, proved too much for him to handle at close range. Um, Manzarek said, we played it for him, and it was so loud, it pinned him up against the wall. The Doors were in good company by being rejected by him, though. Jerry Garcia, John Fowley, and Pink Floyd also had work rejected for the soundtrack. The song musically and lyrically conjures traveling through the desert, of the second or third world. If you've ever been south of the border, away from the usual tourist parts, this song will make complete sense to you. The song was almost completely fit in the can before these sessions, except for some additional guitar parts added by Benno. It starts off with a beat that conveys a sense of dread and misery, with Manzarek shimmering Hammond notes as Morrison sings about ripping off Latin America, beats for gold. Densmore and Krieger keep the surge going until, musically, they turn carnival again with the lyrics. Come on, people, don't look so down. You know the rain man is coming to town. He'll change your weather, change your luck. He'll teach you how to. And if you have a decent pair of headphones, you can hear what he's going to put there. Um, (laughs) Find yourself, Lamerica. The music builds into a demented merry-go-round 
gone really wrong, seemingly about to spin out of control until it shifts into a happy street carnival song. Friendly strangers came to town, all people put them down, and then back to that unrelenting beat of full heat, dust, and dread. Seems a little bit out of place for this album. Lou? It's very out of place, even for this album. What the fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Robbie tuning his guitar. Or somebody in a music store trying out like something new, you know. It's the same with Ray's Keys in the beginning. It just it doesn't put me in a good place. I I really don't like this song at all. Um, it kind of re- sounds like they were rehearsing in different spaces. It it really to me it really needed to be worked some more in the studio or something. It's this is another one that I think shouldn't have been here. Nelda. Okay, I try to be optimistic, so I'm going to say that um, I like the beginning part where Ray is playing, but the rest of it I don't really like. Jim's voice sounds flat, and I just don't like it. Krieger leads us off with some dark, moody guitar noodling. Manzerk sprinkles in some spooky spectral organ, and Densmore cracks some Marshall-style drums on this sinister, menacing number that kind of harkens back to the first couple of Doors records, where the band sounded more scary and dangerous. It, It does feel a little bit out of place here. Morrison's voice is heavily reverbed and ghostly as he sings about Lamerica, short for Latin America, and the lyrics are very oblique, but our man seems to be visiting down there with his pals to do some trading with the locals, most likely for drugs. The menfolk don't like the stranger's presence there, but the little girls, they understand. I took a trip down to America. The next track is Hyacinth House. What are they doing in the Hyacinth House? What are they doing in the Hyacinth House to please the lions? Yeah, this day. I need a brand new friend who doesn't Lou, let's have it. All right, this is an improvement over the side's opener. I'm not going to interpret what old Jimbo is singing about. Ray will probably do it really well. But this is definitely more Doors-like, if not Doors-light. It's another one that should have been kind of fleshed out more. Not my favorite, but it's not unwelcome. Nelda? Yes, I love this song. It's very nice and beautiful and... It's just great. I love it. I believe it has something to do with the Greek myth, the beautiful lover of Apollo. But I'm going to leave all that to the professor, too. <laughs> all right, Prof, give it to us. Okay, don't sleep on this song. It starts so gently with that guitar riff. Hyacinthus was a young, was a young love of the Greek god Apollo. Apollo accidentally killed him, and from his blood sprang forth the hyacinth plant with fragrant cluster of flowers. The song was written at guitarist Robbie Krieger's house, which inspired some of Morrison's lyrics with its flowers, the hyacinth, and cats, which he called lions. The song of logging, looking for a friend who doesn't bother, trouble, or need him, a genuine friend. According to Uncut Magazine, 
the line, I see the bathroom is clear, was literal. Morrison's friend, Babe Hill, emerged from the bathroom just as he was writing that verse. Seems kind of like kismet. Um, Jack of Hearts, that's the Christ card, or also known as the Sacrifice. That was the last play he had, he said. The vocals were recorded in the Doors workshop, studio, bathroom for a fuller, more resonant and melancholy effect. On this song, for me, Morrison's voice has a richer quality to it. Um, he's not straining. He's crooned before, but this song has an added element. And uh, Manzarek's composition references uh, Chopin's Polonaise in A-flat during the organ solo. It's This song is crazy because it's just so 60s and dated. It could have been on Strange Days to me, but I still like it. Krieger's chorus guitar apes the main vocal melody of the track and the rhythm kind of meanders along. The bass and drums are taking us for a stroll. They're active and moving without drawing attention to what they're doing. A masterclass in subtlety. And this one really gives Manzarek a showcase to solo without showing off. There's a vague wistfulness to the vibe that the keyboards really plug into. The breakdown features a strident drum beat in Manzarek's choppy up and down organ bit that briefly breaks up the malaise. Morrison even sounds flat and melancholic. I read the lyrics are thought to be him telling us it's just about time for him to be moving on. His troubles are following him. He needs a new friend. He needs a change. And it's coming soon, through the metaphor of the Greek myth of Hyacinth. What are they doing in the Hyacinth house? <sighs> I love this track. I really do. But I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Lou, stop me. Prof, Prof, don't let me do this. Nelda, don't let me do this. Don't do it. Ugh. It's Aaron's stinky stinker. Oh, no. Wow. I thought America was the stinker. <laughs> <laughs> the following track is Crawling King Snake, written by John Lee Hooker. Well, I'm the crawling. Nelda, hit us. Well, that's what I was going to say, that it's a blues song written by John Lee Hooker, but it's a metaphor for sex. And that sums it up. <laughs> Prof. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was uh, recorded on the final day of recording in the sessions that was known as Blues Day. The Crawling King Snake literally sees plenty of guitar slides atop a slow, slippery groove. It was first recorded by, by Big Joe Williams in 1941 and was also adapted by blues legend John Lee Hooker in 1949. To quote Jim Carrey, or to paraphrase Jim Carrey from the movie Liar Liar, I've heard better. <laughs> it's another, and this is a quote, this was a great quote I heard about this when I was researching this. Another 12-bar blues and clearly more of an improv, imp improvisation. It's probably the album's most forgettable song, but hey, that's, like, that's a bit like saying it wasn't the best sex you've ever had. You'll definitely have worse four minutes and 57 seconds. <laughs> this is my eh. Lou. 
This one isn't an, as annoying as the last two attempts, but it's still filler on this record. What is it with this guy? He, he wants to sound like Frank Sinatra, Mother Waters. It's it's a big stretch. It's, it's a rehash of uh, I eat more chicken than any man ever saved. Been there, done that, Jimbo. Robbie Solo sounds like he was having a seizure from too much cocaine. And the rest of the band sounds like they don't they couldn't wait for this to end. And I'm kind of with them. Sorry, guys. I think the reason there's there's some of these filler songs on it is because they had recorded in a week. He was a drunk mm. and they had to keep him kind of like. Right. Yeah. They had occupied. to, you know, right. They had to so, wrangle him. Did they have to caffeinate him? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Just at least get something before he passed out. And he got the session guitarist drunk with him. Yep. <laughs> Even Elvis's bassist? No, I don't know if Elvis's bassist fell into that trap, but Bino certainly did. Mm. And this is what he wanted to do. He, he, I think he really always wanted to be a blues singer. I mean, the Doors played blues covers from the very, very earliest days. Oh, yeah. You, fact, you heard that that uh, 66 uh, thing that I, yeah. I gave you. It was all that's blues. Almost all, that's almost all blues covers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... At the London you know. Fog or the Matrix sessions? Uh, London Fog. Okay. Ooh, I dig Krieger's ugly little guitar lick. It's nasty and slimy like a serpent. Then it's joined by Mark Benno's second guitar, and the two work that voodoo blues magic, while Manzarek jazzes it up on organ, and as usual, our rhythm section holds it down with jazzy drum fills and slippery bass slides, and everybody knows that I love me some bass slides. Morrison musters up that craggy blues bellow again as he tells you he's the crawling king snake and he's in charge. He ain't letting her get away. She ain't messing around. He's going to use her for himself. I love the John Lee Hooker solo boogie blues original. I mean, he's one of my favorite blues artists. And this track, though, has a very different feel. It's a different beast. But I feel like it pays the proper homage to the hook without copying his style. Well, I'm the crawling king snake, and I rule my den. The penultimate track is The Wasp, Texas Radio and the Big Beat. I want to tell you about Texas Radio and the Big Beat. Comes out of the Virginia swamps, cool and slow with plenty of precision. And the backbeat narrow and hard to master. Some call it heavenly in its brilliance, others mean and rueful of the Western dream. I love the friends I Prof, hit us. Since Texas radio refers to all the high-powered Mexican radio stations broadcasting across the border in the U.S., that's what this song is about. ZZ Top's Heard It on the X deals with the same theme. All Mexican radio stations have an X in their call letters. These stations were not restricted as to how many watts they could transmit, and they used to bleed into U U.S. radio stations and override them. And before he went to L.A., there was a very famous DJ that used to, to broadcast on them, Mr. Wolfman Jack, who came from Virginia, from the swamps, to Texas, or to actually to Del Rio, Texas, and he was doing, he would go across the border and, and broadcast on these, and that's kind of what Morrison's talking about. This was originally a poem Jim used to recite at concerts between songs, most notably at the Hollywood Bowl in July 1968, with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones in the front row, 
and Mick Jagger had Pam sitting in his lap. And that is my superpower, is to be able to bring the Rolling Stones into any podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I love how this song plods and Manzarek's accents on top of that pocket created by Densmore and Chef. Morrison's spoken words paint such vivid images. They are saying, forget the night, live with us in, in force of azure, or force of blue, in case you were wondering. Uh, out here on the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned immaculate, which is basically the 19, late 1960s. I, I like the, uh, I'll tell you this, no eternal reward will forgive us now for wasting the dawn. One of my favorite organ solos by Manzarek is in this, and he gets some space noises out of that organ after a solo and before the song's crescendo. I always like this tune, and it's not just because I'm from Texas. Lou? I love the riff. I love the sound of Ray's keys and how they slide into this classic. That B3. Love it. Jim says, I want to tell you about Texas radio and the big beat. And you want to listen to what he says. I love the stream of consciousness, the poetry over this fierce, heavy jam. This is the doors. This not that half-hearted entitled white boy blues. They fumbled their way through on half this record. Robbie Solo over Ray's pounding out those chords on this overdriven Vox, whatever he's playing. Um, Jerry's heartbeat bass line just send you into a trance. Love this. Lyrics in the middle section are funny, even though they're not meant to be. Nelda. I had to love the same things that Ray had, except I also had that the verse comes out of Virginia Swamps and cool and slow with plenty of precision is a reference to when Jim lived in Alexandria, Virginia. Yeah. I saw that where he went, where he would, he would go to the, the two joints. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I read about that too. I did not know <laughs> that. Hmm. Yeah. This is a weird one. The verses feature palm muted guitar licks, a stomping thrumming rhythm section that boom, boom, boom into your brain more jazz light organ to tie it all together, and some deep voice spoken word poetry. The chorus brings us a circular musical pattern that all the players latch onto and ride out until it runs out of steam. Manzarek treats us to another organ solo until he gives way to Densmore, who gets an extended fill section to pull us back towards the finish. Morrison's voice is booming out as he refers to Texas radio, which were actually high-powered Mexican radio stations that carried into Texas in the 1950s. But shit, man, this was poetry he had around for years, and they just set it to music. I've got no friggin' clue what the fuck he's talking about. The whole thing sounds cool. That's all that matters. I won't tell you about Texas radio and the big beat. Soft, driven, slow, and mad like some new language. And that brings us to the final track, Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm Riders on the Storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown Like a dog without a bone Riders on the storm There's a killer on the road How about this last one, Lou? 
Oh man. Paul Rothschild left his project because he said the doors were making cocktail music. Isn't that what, what you said? If this is what he was talking about, then I'll have another round, please. <laughs> <laughs> Holy mother of toilet seat. This is the epitome of cool. It's a jazz ride on the drums. Jerry Chef's slinky bass line that drives this. Robbie's tremoloed out guitar. Just Jimbo brings us on this ride. Tells the tale of the killer on the road. Music is feels like a midnight ride through the desert. You can almost feel your ass sink into that lush Corinthian leather and front seat of your Cadillac. Was that a Cordoba? As you ride off into the night towards the city of light. It's where it drops you into a perfect state of bliss. It's like sonic heroin. It's what you need, man. I love this song. This is one of my favorite door songs. Nelda. Yes, I agree. This is one of my favorite door songs too. The first time I heard it, I visualized it. And I also heard that Jim had the rain and the thunder added. I also heard that he was very interested in three serial killers, Billy Cook, Charles Benson, and the Zodiac killer. It was said that the Riders on the Storm was inspired by the Billy Cook story. Hmm. Professor. So during the early rehearsal jams that became sessions for the L.A. woman, the doors began riffing on Stan Jones's galloping 1948 country western hit, Ghost Riders in the Sky, made famous by Vaughn Moore. Robbie was playing his twangy guitar. Ray Manzert recalled in Mojo Rising. And Jim went, I've got lyrics for that. And he had Riders on the Storm. The moody words fit the equally foreboding music, and Manzarek's driving keyboard figure shifted the melody from a yippie kaye to a lonely desert highway. I knew this all along. I don't know how I knew this, but I knew that this had to be a, a, a take on Ghost Riders in the Sky. It was Morrison's idea to alter the title to Riders on the Storm, as well as to blend elements of his own defunct film, H.W.Y., uh, an American pastoral, which is, it's on, somebody made a video of, his, his film into Riders on the Storm on YouTube. The title was adapted from a passage in a praise for an urn by poet Hart Crane. Other lines were inspired by his tumultuous relationship with long-term partner Pamela Corson. But the most memorable verse is called from a self-penned screenplay inspired by the spree killer Billy Cook, who murdered six people, including a family, while hitchhiking to California in 1950. Though he was executed for his crimes, he's immortalized as the killer on the road. The other three members of the Doors used this song as a preview of the group's new direction, even though they pretty much knew that Morrison was out of there. This has Morrison's final recorded, recorded contribution. There's a whisper voice on Riders on the Storm, if you listen closely, a whispered overdub that Jim adds beneath his vocal. That's the last thing he ever did, according to Manzarek. An ethereal whispered overdub, the two ghostly whispers of the song's title at the fade-out, is even more haunting in retrospect. Onto the song itself, I saw one of those tribute bands a few years ago, a very good one. And uh, once I got past the, uh, the, the fact that the singer had his flowing black button-down shirt and leather pants on, and the absurdity of tribute bands anyway, it was a perfect way to open the show. <laughs> they, used a, they used a video screen projecting clouds and parts of the Morrison, uh, parts of Morrison driving on the highway. It was really cool. 
I did originally have tickets to go see The Doors of the 21st Century, the Ian Asbury, Manzarek, Krieger project, who did an outstanding live version that's available on YouTube. It's kind of unnerving how good it is. But the band ran into more legal trouble with Dens with John Densmore, and the rest of the tour was canceled before the San Antonio date. So I got my tickets refunded. It's an excellent keyboard solo. Anything with the Fender Rhodes, I'm just gonna it's just gonna hit me right in the feels. And this is this is a, an incredible way to end this album. What a great song. The rain and thunder roll in. Then the jazzy blues begins. Insistent, memorable bass, including awesome high slides. Understated drums that don't pound or thud. They push you ahead on your journey. Country blues guitar done in the finger-picked Krieger style that complements, never dominates. The Fender Rhodes piano that adds jazz colors and the descending scales that sound just like rain falling out of the sky. The haunted vocals, double-tracked with mysterious, creepy whispers. It all comes together and unravels at its own pace. It's in no hurry. Despite its seeming lack of urgency, there's an uneasy tension below the surface. You're meant to feel unsettled. Something feels off. It paints a picture of killer hitchhikers, disconnected lovers, a cold, lonely world we're all thrust into and ultimately must find our own way in. We're all a part of it. We all ride the storm of life. At the end, the rain and thunder roll out. A fitting send-off for one Jim Morrison. This was the second single from the record that reached number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Like a dog without a bone, an actor out on loan, riders on the storm, yeah. Now that the track by track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which was found in a Paris bathtub. Nelda, give us your final thoughts on L.A. Woman. I'm going to give it a four. It's just not the greatest I've ever heard. Professor. Okay. Um, this is my favorite Doors album. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> fine. Everybody's got their opinions. It's all good. For me, it should sound dated and of its time, but there are certain songs that are timeless. Um, the album strikes a rare balance of going back to basics while still exploring uncharted territory in the initial pioneering journey of rock and roll. It is by far their most mature work. Morrison had just come from the Miami trial and the very real threat of jail time. And I'm sure even for him, that caused some introspection and some reevaluation. The backlash to the counterculture seemed to be targeting the figures or perceived figures of the counterculture, and Morrison had to feel singled out in that respect. Misunderstood and feeling like an outcast, the changeling was leaving it all behind and pursuing his aspirations in the original City of Light, leaving behind his beloved fantastic L.A. Recorded in six days in the rehearsal space, raw and uncut, aside from America, which was already in the can. The fact that it came together so quickly for them is, especially after the soft parade and how long their album's times in the, in the studio just got to be so bloated, it, it's insane that this came out as good as it did. Um, according to John Densmore, a uh, modern drummer, he said, we just did a couple of takes on everything. 
there were some mistakes, and I would say, remember, remember on Miles Davis's at the Carnegie Hall, there's this horrible trumpet error. Miles said he didn't care because that because of the feeling. That's what LA Woman is, just passion in our rehearsal room, not in a fancy studio. It was just the he called it the first punk album. There's been what three reissues of this album, all with a, some pretty lackluster tracks that weren't issued. But there's one that's the most intriguing that I've heard of. I've never. It's it's never been released though. It's called Paris Blues, which is the only known copy is a badly damaged cassette, which portions have been accidentally erased. But the lyrical fragments hint at a, at a deeply personal song for Morrison. Going to the city of love, gonna start my life over again. Once I was young, now I'm getting old. Once I was warm, now I'm feeling cold. Well, I'm going overseas, gonna grab me a bit of that gold. Considering Morrison's fate in Paris, it feels like a very poignant farewell. If I was a fan at the time that this was released, I'd be very hopeful for the future of The Doors because I wouldn't have the internet and know anything about how they were going to basically be breaking up. They were going forward in an interesting direction, back to their roots yet still exploring, but some things just aren't built to last. We still have the music, though, and what a great trip it is. The Doors will forever be linked to Southern California in those sleepy idealistic days with a dark lining in that hazy L.A. sunshine. What an incredible band. This one's a five for me. Lou? This is a hard record for me. What's good is beyond over-the-top great, but the rest is low-grade filler that should have been left off for B-sides and box sets. I don't have the emotional connection to this record that I do with Morrison Hotel or the first record. There's less deep cuts on the soft than on the soft parade, but the hits on this record are what I love. I'd say that Riders and L.A. Woman are probably my two favorite songs this band does, and I give this album a three and a half. Although it's a classic and indispensable in any collection, it's it's at four legit skippers for me out of ten songs, and that's just too many throwaways to make it any higher up the chain. The Doors played 23 dates in the United States and Canada through the first half of 1970, managing this despite the fact that the band was blacklisted in many markets due to the controversy surrounding the Miami incident, where Jim Morrison allegedly exposed himself to the audience at a March 1969 concert and was due to appear in court later in 1970 to face charges. The Doors played the Isle of Wight Festival on August 29th, completing their Roadhouse Blues Tour, and on September 20th, 1970, Morrison was convicted for indecent exposure and profanity in Miami, while on October 30th, he was sentenced to six months in prison along with a $500 fine. He remained free on a $50,000 bond pending appeal. That November, the Doors entered Sunset Sound Recorders in Los Angeles to record early versions of three new songs, L.A. Woman, Riders on the Storm, and Lover Madly. When Paul Rothschild, who had produced the band's first five albums, heard these tracks, he left the new project in disgust, calling Love for Madly in particular cocktail music. The Doors decided to produce a new album themselves, as well as bumping up engineer Bruce Botnick to co-producer. To make the actual record, a makeshift studio was built in the Doors rehearsal space, the Doors Workshop, a two-story building at 8512 Santa Monica Boulevard, providing a relaxed atmosphere and forcing Morrison to record his vocals in a bathroom doorway. 
The Doors had little material to begin the sessions with, so they composed songs on the spot through jamming and two ringers were brought in to help out with the musical backing in the form of bassist Jerry Sheff and guitarist Mark Benno. The album cover had rounded cutout edges and featured a burgundy-colored background with a cellophane insert with the band members' faces in the insert, Morrison's bloated, bearded face to the far right. When L.A. Woman was released in April 1971, it was well-received by critics and fans and has gone on to become The Doors' second best-selling album behind the debut. Unfortunately, this would be the last album with Morrison, who by the album's release had moved to Paris, France to be with his longtime girlfriend Pamela Corson. Then on July 3, 1971, Morrison was found dead in the bathtub at his Paris apartment by Corson. His death was officially listed as heart failure. He was 27 years old. The surviving Doors attempted to carry on, putting out two studio albums as a trio, but it just wasn't the same and the group quietly disbanded in 1973. I'm just going to come right out and say it. L.A. Woman is my favorite Doors album. To me, it just sounds like the perfect closing chapter to the book of Jim Morrison. His voice is shot, it's gone, but it adds a world weariness and depth to these tunes that speak to me and resonate more and more, especially the older I get. The hits are stellar, they're still all over classic rock radio, and the deep cuts are mostly blues numbers that you can tell Morrison's really feeling. He's putting as much effort into his singing as he can muster, and it lands, it works for me. The other doors, as always, step up and once more provide the perfect musical backdrop for Morrison to sing his blues. But there's an air of finality to this record that I get from other records like, say, Abbey Road. You know it's over, but man, what a journey we've been on with these guys. They packed a lot of music in their brief existence, and it's amazing how unique and relevant the doors remain today. There really is no other band quite like them. I give LA Woman a five. And this is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's right up there. And so is this band. Wow. We've completed the Doors album series, and I can't help but think of my dad. When I was little, he was this larger-than-life figure that I wanted to be like. I think a lot of sons felt that way about their fathers. And directly from him, I developed my love of sports and hard rock music. He loved the Rolling Stones, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and when he played those records, I rocked out right with him. He also liked Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, and Carly Simon, so he wasn't always heavy. But it was the Doors he loved and played the most, and that's the band I feel most bonded to him with. As I got older and his approval didn't matter as much to me, we kind of drifted apart. There was a disconnect that happened as we didn't see eye to eye on everything. I wouldn't say it ever got bad. It was never hostile. Our relationship just became sort of non-existent, and I didn't want to be like him at all anymore. But there was always music. When we would occasionally interact over the years, it was the one arena I felt he respected my opinion. And of course, there were the doors, which we always completely agreed on. Our relationship today is admittedly distant, but when we do see each other or talk to each other, we laugh. And there is a ton of love between us. We're closing the doors on the R4 podcast now, but here's the good news. I can open them back up again anytime I want, and when that needle drops and I hear the first notes, I can't help but see in my mind's eye a pudgy two-year-old standing in the trailer living room and belting out in his baby voice, Will I Ben? I'd like to dedicate this album series to Francis Aldi Martel Jr. Thanks, Dad. And from the R4 podcast... 
Raymond Daniel Manzarek Jr., and James Douglas Morrison. Rest in peace. Now we'd like to thank Nelda Drummond for joining us as we close the doors. Hope you enjoyed yourself. I did. I very much enjoyed it, and I appreciate you letting me be involved. Very cool. Is there anything you want to plug or tell the listeners about? Can't think of anything. Fair enough. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm the professor. And I'm Lewis. See ya. Well, I bet. track is been down so long wait a minute you skipped me melda i am so sorry you should have said something <laughs> wow i do that on occasion i apologize melda i'm gonna cue you in thanks for saying something though i just would have kept rolling i do it all the time yeah 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 <laughs> it happens it happens it's not intentional all right all right now that i'll cue you in guys it's so cool that you isolated that <laughs> I always cry. I always laugh my ass off every time I hear him say that. Every time. <laughs> I laugh my ass off every time I hear that. I love it. <laughs>